Hello, welcome back to another episode of Give Me Some Truth. I'm Keith Ponyos here, joined by my colleague Stan Farmer, and we're going to talk about today a little, a little bit about uh, factor investing, which is actually uh, a very wide-ranging topic, and we probably won't cover it all today because factor investing can cover uh, a number of things, including things that we've touched on on the on the pod before, uh, ESG uh, being one of the those topics. Um, but we're going to just kind of talk about that that universe and why it might be particularly relevant right now, Stan. And I think also really um, we're having an investment committee meeting after this. So Stan, you and I are going to be like primed and ready to go and we're just going to dominate that meeting, right? Dominate your afternoon investment committee meeting. If that's not something to get the juices flowing, I don't know what is. <laughs> this, the, you know, in fact, uh, we, we should, after this, uh, you know, do a follow-up podcast where we do the highlights of us dominating, you know, the dunks, the the windmill dunks on the other guys in the in the investment meeting, That's you know, right. uh, the strong defense, that sort of thing. That's right. Minimum um, volatility in your face. <laughs> uh, minimum volatility. If that were a basketball defense, I feel like that's probably a zone. You know, a nice two-three Syracuse. Zone. Yeah, it's kind of bend, don't break. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of defense. If J.J. Watt comes to Wisconsin, um, will you a, buy a real possibility? Will you buy a 99 Watt jersey? And do you think it'll be mandatory for every uh, citizen of the state to buy one of those jerseys? Um, no, on both counts. By the way, okay, um, I, I'm not for whatever reason. I'm just not an NFL jersey wearing kind of guy. I, I baseball. That's another story. And we won't we won't alienate listeners by going into your preferred baseball team. Uh, so, uh, Stan, in a, in a nutshell, what is what is factor investing? How is it maybe different from what people used to know as active mutual funds, that sort of thing? Sure. So, uh, you know, the the way I see it, um, factor investing is just a derivation from normal indexing, right? Um, where um, different fund managers have adopted the idea that, hey, um, indexing is great, it's tax efficient, it's easy, it is a great diversifier, right? And uh, But maybe, just maybe, um, clients would be attracted to something offering just a slight variant that screens four certain characteristics amongst the universe of stocks within a given index, say the S&P 500, for example. Yeah, and some, so just, you know, as a reminder, some of the big indexes are the S&P 500, are, you know, the IFA. Uh, world index, a global Dow Jones industrial average index, which tracks, you know, the whole world stock market. Uh, Those are all, you know, sort of big indexes. And so what we're starting, you know, say we're, and I think going forward, let's, you know, start by talking about the S&P 500 kind of as our base index as we talk through these things, because I think that's the, that or the Dow uh, is the index most of our listeners are probably most familiar with. So if I'm doing a factor uh, 
ETF, let's say, mm-hmm. on an S&P 500, how might I, I screen out companies? Okay. Well, so you mentioned ESG before, right? So th- that is essentially a type of factor investing. And what we're doing is we're taking the universe of companies within the, the say, the S&P 500, and we're you can look at it one way or the other. You're screening for positive characteristics of good actors, or you're simply screening out and eliminating the the bad actors, right? So um, ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. Um, you take these 500 companies and you somehow provide a, an ESG score overall, and maybe this ETF... Uh, manager says, well, we're going to take the the top 200 scores, right? Or another approach might be, well, we're going to eliminate the lowest scoring 100 of of this universe. And there we have a a factored approach to investing in U.S. large companies. And likewise, you know, the other thing is you can keep those in, but also more heavily weight, uh, you know, and that's one of the, I think one of the first factored, factored ETFs um, is uh, equal weight within the uh, S&P 500, which, you know, where instead of taking 500 and buying them right now, you know, if you buy an S&P index, it's going to lo- own a lot more Apple. It's going to own close to 5 or 6%, I think, now of Apple. Right. And, and even Amazon is getting towards 4 or 5% of the index. What a factor one says is we're going to take that 100%, 500 companies, we're going to buy point. Two percent. I think that's my. I'm doing my math right. Uh, uh, and of of each, and if they get f- too far out of line, we're going to bring them back into that point two percent. We're going to rebalance them all back to the same size. Right? And, and so one of the you know one of the things about rebalancing general in general is that it helps lower volatility overall. That's the goal of of uh, rebalancing. And I think Stan, that's an area of factor. Uh, investing that you think is particularly interesting is is f- using factor investing to control for volatility. Right. See, my generally believer in indexed investing, right? The core of a tax-efficient, long-term, successful portfolio can be based on indexes. But most indexes are, in fact, market cap weighted, which means the bigger companies within the index's universe comprise a larger part of the the index fund, right? And um, the case for, for, for factor investing, in my mind, is, okay, this is a diversification away from that, right? So uh, even within the same asset class universe, be it, you know, in this case, U.S. large companies, um, can we lower the volatility or the risk of this portfolio by reshuffling the way um, in a in a second fund? Can we find another fund that that takes that universe and applies a different approach so that we're reducing that concentration of whatever companies are dominating that index? And for the last decade, uh, that has become more and more, um, when we're talking about the S&P 500, that's become more and more 
information technology, communication services, and consumer discretionary stocks at the expense of other sectors that have declined in importance, which would include utilities, energy, financials, consumer staples. And so there are a couple of ways we can take that the 500 stock universe and orient it towards uh, lower volatility, right? Um, right? One is we can uh, maybe return everything to equal weights more frequently or rebalance and do equal weighting. But we can also use tools in terms of in investing to screen for particular characteristics. Right. We can right? go straight to the we can go straight to the source and just say, okay, let's weight this portfolio and give higher weightings to the stocks that are the least volatile on an individual basis. And there are a couple of ways of calculating which stocks are going to be the least volatile, right? One is you can screen for standard deviation. And we're not going to bore you with calculating standard deviation for stocks, but standard deviation just generally means, you know, if a, if a stock returns 10% a year, is it close to a straight line or is it up, you know, 18% one year, down 2% the next, up 14 the following, down 6, or is it up 8, up 12, up, you know, Closer to that that the, line. The, the, the more narrow that band is between, you know, the worst years and the best years, the lower the standard deviation. And so in that in that particular case, you know, you can screen for standard deviation. And then, you know, depending on who the fund manager is and how they're they're constructing it, they may say, as we did with ESG, let's get out get rid of the worst hundred companies. Mm-hmm. Or let's keep another way is well, we know tech and we know uh, you know, uh, uh, communications, and we know consumer discretionary are the big, big things. But within that, you know, we're gonna we're gonna give fifteen percent to each of those categories, or keep the right. market waiting. Let's keep it sector balanced, or yeah. or not, yeah, or keep it consistent with the sector weightings that exist. And so, I either think, way, yeah. And, and so, if we keep it consistent, then we're gonna give higher, you know, scores or more weight to lower volatility companies within that sector. Or you can go further and say, you know, we're just going to eliminate these highly volatile sectors, right? And ESG, one of the reasons it had great performance last year is they got rid of a highly volatile, they, you know, as a base, get rid of energy, which is a highly, highly volatile sector. And last, uh, last year, energy had a rough year and, you know, looked better. Then you can go further from there, right, in terms of volatility. Um, but there are other approaches of achieving volatility, right? Uh, or lower volatility based on not just looking at at the math of the stock performance, right? right. But looking at the the companies, we we can you know we can we can screen for certain fundamental characteristics and such as dividend yield or um, the history of the company in terms of its dividend payout, and just by just including only companies that pay dividends, you tend to get more financially mature, stable companies, and you've eliminated the universe of, of younger startup companies that aren't, you know, that don't have earnings, right? And that don't have the ability to pay dividends. So that can be another approach. And then from there, and within that universe, you know, you can even among the companies that pay dividends, you can go further, right? You can screen out, we only want the highest dividend paying stocks in mm-hmm. those sectors or in the S&P 500 as a whole, 
or we only want companies that increase their dividends year after year. Right. And that further, you know, provides that sort of uh, factor to things. Yeah. And I mean, we always have to be careful um, in this world where bonds aren't really providing you much income or yield, as we like to say in the biz. Um, we, 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 we are always, you know, hopeful for retirees in particular, but for investors in general to, you know, find other sources of yield, if you will. Okay. But in the hunt for yield, we, we have to remember that, that there could be two reasons why a company's dividend yield is increasing, right? It can be, you know, if a stock goes, if a stock's dividend yield goes from five to 6%, it could be because they increased their pay, their dividend, the actual underlying dividend, the payout by 20% or roughly, right? Or it could be because they didn't do anything with the dividend and the stock price dropped 20%, right? So and your, 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 your high yielders um, include values and value traps. Yep. And I think that's one of the, the important things that when we as advisors start looking at in this current market ways to reduce portfolio volatility overall, but also provide current income that we don't chase into value traps, right? Or inadvertently or vertently, you might say, <laughs> provide more risk than we want to, right? So if you go into a high yield, uh, you know, high dividend paying fund, do you accidentally buy something that's 100% energy? Because energy yields right now, because the stock prices have, uh, technical term, gone in the tank, uh, are, are yielding much greater, right? And so that's where the Certainly. sophistication of factor comes in, right? Right, right. And, you know, and let, let's keep one thing in mind, right? Um, um, even, you know, we have this criticism of just focusing on yield, but if the ETF does just that, it's still better than the individual investor or the advisor, in my opinion, uh, trying to identify the best yielding companies and just own a few of them, right? Because by just of the fact that you're, you, you know, you're eliminating some of your individual company risk just by being in in in, in a in a broadly diversified. ETF of high dividend yielders, right? Like the the Vanguard high dividend yield. Yeah. VYM is the ticker for that, right? So um, are there going to be value traps in there where, you know, it's a high, it, it makes the index one year and then it, they have to cut their dividend, a la GE over the last few years, right? You're going to have some GEs in there, right? But it's going to be a fraction of the the stocks in the portfolio, right? It's not going to be, well, I chose five high dividend stocks and two of them turned out to be value traps and I, it was a disaster. Yeah. Right? And, and I think, you know, uh, that's, that's one of the concerns, you know, oh, I, I, you know, went into my portfolio and I bought five bank stocks and, you know, we know the banking industry as a whole is going to continue. We need banks. Right. Uh, despite, you know, our desire maybe not to, to keep everything under their mattress. D despite anything Elon Musk might have tweeted yeah. last night to the contrary. <laughs> yeah. uh, we won't, we're going to have banks. And so even if we're overexposed maybe to bank stocks, we know that as an industry, yeah, we may have some negative performance because one or two of them do do poorly. But over the, over the long term, that industry isn't going to go totally away. Um, and so it, it 
changes a little bit. Um, the other thing that we can look at too, in terms of screening for volatility is company balance sheets, right? And that's another yeah. approach of, of screening for limiting volatility. And, um, you know, so you'll look at companies in terms of their debt to equity ratio, how much, you know, have they issued? What is their, you know, bond rating for the company? You can, you can factor on that. You can factor on, you know, income year over year, uh, growth, free cash flow, free operating cash flow. You can do all of these things. Essentially, anything that a company does, you can start factor investing for. And one of the, you know, just today in preparation for a meeting, I was looking through one of the major ETF providers' websites, and they have eleven pages of ETFs now. Right? <laughs> See, this is this is why I think the, the industry loves factors, uh, you know, more, more more than anyone, right? Because uh, there, the, the number of factors as Keith is starting to, to, to unfold, you know, here in, 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 during this podcast is infinite, right? And I can assure you that somehow this 11 pages of ETFs, this, this fund company who you haven't named, and that's probably good because they're probably a deep pocket, right? And we don't want them coming <laughs> after us. But that my guess is that for each one of those uh, different products, uh, the R and D department at the firm, you know, the, they, they, they counted the beans, they crunched the numbers and they back tested, right. And the back tests for each and every one of them said it would lead to higher returns, but guess what? Yeah. Not possible. Yeah. And, and I think this is something that we as a firm believe in general that, uh, obtaining alpha, that is to say higher returns is very, very difficult on, uh, particularly on the, the equity side, particularly in the classic universe of U.S. large cap stocks. And so that's why in many cases we're using the index because we think over the long run uh, that's the best situation. So where might we use some of these factor investing ideas for our clients, Stan? And I think, you know, we've alluded to it a little bit with the low interest rate environment we're living in. Yeah, so... You know, I, you know, this is you know kind of just uh, you know off the cuff how how I'm approaching this with clients now. Um, you know, we're as we said in this terrible interest rate environment, right? And and um, as many talking heads might have you know been discussing on uh, CNBC this morning. Not sure I wasn't watching. But, you know, every day you hear people saying, well, you know, there's risk in the bond market. There's risk in the bond market, right? Well, I mean, they're not wrong. Um, and really, you know, the challenge in this environment is we've never been in this type of environment. We've never been in a zero interest rate, you know, short-term interest rate environment with negative yields throughout most of the the developed world outside of the United States, right? And with, um, you know, central banks printing money at record levels, okay? Uh, well beyond what we had during the Great Recession, okay? So what do you do in this type of world? And in, in my mind, okay, we, we need to manage risk at all times. And managing risk right now also means, you know, not going overboard with your bonds. But your bonds are your primary defense, right, against terrible stock markets. Uh, but in this environment, um, I'm going to lean a little more towards complementing the indexed positions with factors that I think make the most sense to play defense within 
the offensive category of stocks, right? And so, um, you know, to me that means um, complementing the traditional index funds with some minimum volatility strategies and uh, with some dividend strategies. And and my favorite dividend strategies, you know, because we, we worry, of course, if we have, you know, another financial crisis, right, that, that the highest dividends are going to, to you know, be the companies that, that are having their stocks getting slashed and they're going to eventually cut their dividends. That's going to be a disaster. So I tend to complement um, with dividend growth strategies, right? These are screens that you, you have to have a dividend and it has to be, you know, at, meet the dividend criteria, but you also have to have a track record as a company of growing your underlying dividend and not that your yield's growing because your price is dropping. So this is, again, more looking at, you know, dividends don't lie. They're, it's real money that's being paid out to investors. It's, you can't manufacture a dividend with creative accounting, right? Um, so this is a way to, shall we say, improve the financial stability or quality of the, uh, of the overall portfolio as a defensive measure in my mind. Yeah. And, and what we're talking about here is not, you know, the whole portfolio is going this way, but um, you know, for certain clients in certain positions, if you're younger, you know, the risks of the near term aren't there. Uh, you shouldn't necessarily be worrying about as much about playing defense because you have time to recover. Right. right. If you're older, if you're in an income drawing environment, even if you know you, if you're starting to draw down, where you draw down from the the assets, uh, you know, in many cases, advisors, you know, would love to be in a position where you don't have to touch the principal; you can just go for the yield. But we're not necessarily living in that world right now with zero percent interest rates, because if you just live on your yield, uh, you're going to be not making much money. <laughs> Absolutely. And, 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 and I would by no means say that what we're talking about means that, that we are literally abandoning bonds in favor of uh, tamer stocks, right? So, I mean, this might mean in the real world that I take a client that's at or close to retirement that has, you know, 34% bonds in their portfolio and, and taking them down to 29, right? By adding um, and mixing in um, you know, these minimum volatility or dividend strategies are just, you know, being, being, being clever as much as, as I'm capable of being clever with the overall diversification of the portfolio. And also maybe adding, you know, more to things like gold, right, that are also potentially not correlated to stocks and can play defense like bonds do. Yeah. I mean, gold doesn't yield anything, but guess what? Neither do stocks now. So <laughs> it, the playing field has never <laughs> been more even. <laughs> neither do bonds. Um, and that's, you know, really oh, one I of say the stocks. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was like, I meant neither do bonds. I yeah. Thought, see how uh, because there are limitations you know, on that, how clever I can be. Just to give you an idea of kind of how weird the world is and why we're, we're, you know, thinking through these things and talking about them in our investment committee and, and, you know, where needed, bringing them up with clients is, uh, I looked last week and essentially yields from stocks, dividends were almost in line with corporate bonds. Right. And, you know, when you buy a bond, if I buy a bond for 10,000 us dollars, I'm going to get 10,000 us dollars back and I should be getting interest. If I buy a stock for 10,000, I'm going to get dividend yield, but you know, hopefully in five years, uh, I'm going to be able to sell it for 11,000 
you know? Right. Uh, and so I'm going to have a thousand dollar profit and that. And so, you, you know, what we're seeing is you're not necessarily be being fairly compensated for corporate bonds. And so that's where, you know, we want to take a step back and just make sure it, that we can reduce volatility in the portfolio as a whole by finding additional methods of diversification. And what we're looking for are, if we're looking at factor investing, factors that will separate these from the bulk of your portfolio, which are the, the you know, uh, index funds that you hold. Um, and that will provide, a, a, you know, slightly less correlated returns overall. Right. And let's remember that, that, that you know, stocks in general are, you know, it's important to remember that even in a normal bond environment, the challenge for bonds is to not lose to inflation, right? To not lose real value, right? Cash will definitely lose real value over time simply because things get more expensive, right? Well, if your bonds aren't yielding anything, then your bonds like cash are, you know, almost certainly not likely to, you know, hold their purchasing power, if you will. And one of the advantages of stocks is generally, you know, they're not, it's not immediate, it's not uh, necessarily direct, and there are some issues in terms of, of drag on the portfolio. But generally, you know, if I own a company that produces chocolate bars and, you know, chocolate prices go up, the, the company will make more money, the stock price will increase. And so you have a little bit of an inflation hedge there right. just in owning stocks. So uh, that, that kind of, you know, covers the ground of, of factor investing and a little bit about why we're talking about it in the office right now. Um, and in fact, this worked out really well because I think we're nice and warmed up for that investment committee meeting and we're just going to lay into them here. In your face, Nathan. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to Give Me Some Truth. Walkner Conan Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor with the SEC. The opinions expressed by the participants of this podcast are their own and do not reflect the opinions of Walkner Conan Financial Advisors. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and is not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific security investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. Thanks for listening, and for further information, please visit walknercondon.com.